People know that we're safe. People know that we're sincere. People know that we know psilocybin. They know that we know how to manage, work with this medicine, and work with our guests. That is apparent in the wake that we have left, and which has been hundreds of people whose lives have been so powerfully and so positively changed. And while mm-hmm. psilocybin is the tool, that that could not have happened if they were not in a safe, supported environment. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Psilocybin Chronicles. I'm Eric. We've got a little bit of a different episode for you today. In this episode, I am going to be taking the seat of interviewee because Denise Rue, one of our therapists, is going to be interviewing me about the article that just came out in on Insider.com. Uh, this article is kind of a follow-up to the Psychedelics Today statement published in 2018. And while we have tried very hard to just let this thing fall but fall aside, uh, certain individuals keep trying to bring it back up. And uh, it has caused a significant uh, impact on our business, uh, but more so really on our guests. Uh, there's, it, it creates fear and paranoia that is, is unjustified. Uh, we were also pulled from the psyched 2020 conference. I know many of our listeners and um, past guests were looking to hear Justin and I speak at that conference. I was really excited about speaking on how to find the best dose for you at that conference, but three or four days before it went off, we were pulled, and the Psychedelics Today article was cited for that. And then here comes this insider.com article so it is really high time that we clarify this again it is it's for the people who are checking out michael meditation seeing if this is the right place for you to come on a retreat we want you to know that it is Uh, we want you to know that we're safe we want you to know that we're sincere Uh, and and that's what this episode is really all about if you don't want to listen to 45 minutes of this you're still interested in the details there is an online statement that we're putting up Uh, That'll be on our website and social media pages. Um, Otherwise, you know, this conversation is interesting and it talks uh, significantly about the development of Michael Meditations over the years, a project that I'm obviously very proud of. So hope you uh, hope you get some clarification out of this. And if not, if you have other questions, well, info at michaelmeditations.com. Thanks for listening, as always. Hi, Eric. Hey, Denise. So... (laughs) What I've done here is try to go through this article as if I were a prospective guest. Which you were at one time. Absolutely. (laughs) I am the infamous Denise in this article. That's right. You know, I was looking back at the old podcast today, and uh, it was August that we did the first recording. You were the second episode. Oh. So it's almost been two years. Yeah. It was July. July when you came, right? Yes. So it is almost two years here in June. Wow. Great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, because I do talk to many prospective guests before they come on retreat, I am assuming that a few will probably come across this article and will have questions. So well, we're and we're already having that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So. so I attempted to be as objective as possible, and I went through it with a fine-tooth comb. And these are the questions that I would bring to you 
if I were a prospective guest. Mm. And so we'll just jump right in. A lot of allegations here about your consumption of alcohol and cannabis during the retreat. It's not clear to me the distinction between during the retreat week and on dosing days. Mm. So can you please address that? Absolutely. Um, well, and first I want to say, no, I don't. Um, yeah, so let's see. You know, I have always been um, less than more dogmatic. Um, I don't like a lot of rules. Um, I think that people find themselves better when there are less rules. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't standards that I've held myself to, our work to, um, and these retreats to. One of those standards is absolutely no alcohol consumption during a mushroom session or the day of leading up to a mushroom session, period. Um, I strongly suggest that people don't really drink much or any alcohol after their mushroom session as well. Now, there have definitely been times uh, when I myself have had a beer after a mushroom session, um, no doubt about it. Uh, I had a beer two nights ago. Um, I have not consumed alcohol with psilocybin since I was in my 20s when it was just kind of party thing, you know. Um, and while not smart, it's also not really unsafe. But for the retreat, that is absolutely not the tone that we're setting. People come here to do serious work on themselves. Um, alcohol is an avoidance tool. It's not an awareness tool. So the two don't aren't really compatible. Mm -hmm. um, so like that's what was really frustrating for me about the article is that it 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 is unclear whether or not I was consuming alcohol during the mushroom session, before, after, maybe a separate day altogether. And the reality is is that I have never on retreat ever consumed alcohol during a mushroom session. Um, I have had no more than two beers over the course of two or three hours after a mushroom session here. Um, and there have been occasions when going out to lunch with guests, we would have a couple of beers on that day. Um, but we've always kept it sober and safe. And this isn't this is not a party environment. So, so let me ask you, uh, is alcohol available on the retreats? At the classic retreats, there are there's a refrigerator there in the uh, kitchen area that beers can be purchased. Um, okay. We, anytime a guest goes more than two beers deep, we always kind of you know suggest that they put the brakes on. Uh, if anyone shows up to a mushroom session smelling like alcohol, they are denied psilocybin. Uh, that's not happened yet. We've never had to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, obviously alcohol is not the safest, smartest drug tool that we can use, um, but we're also adults, uh, and alcohol is a part of our culture at this point. And so when people come down here and they want to drink a beer after a mushroom session or on the day that there's no mushroom sessions, they want to have a beer with lunch, uh, or if even a staff member wants to do that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop them. 
again, if it does get out of hand, which we've never had that happen with staff, we've had a couple of guests that we've had to say, hey, look, I think this needs to be put brought into check. Okay. So this is one of the reasons why I think it's really important to have less rules than more rules. Because if I was to say, say somebody comes down here for alcohol treatment, and I say, okay, look, you cannot have any alcohol whatsoever, right? Well, they may feel the benefit of that. They may experience some benefit. But they're also going to feel the pressure of that rule that you can't do this. There's going to be resistance. And Mm -hmm. when I've allowed that individual to make their own choice, even if it ends up being a bad choice, the lesson that comes out of that lasts far longer Mm -hmm. than, you know, remembering the fact that Eric wouldn't let me drink a beer. So, uh, you know. Yeah, and and part of that seems to be trusting the retreat goers' own inherent healing wisdom. Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. dynamic is, I trust you to find your own way. We're going to give you this... Um, envelope of safety, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what strikes me here, and I'm speaking as a therapist on staff, is the number of guests who have come with substance abuse issues who after the retreat week no longer use. Mm -hmm. Or, again, this this is something I've seen multiple times, particularly with alcohol. Uh, They won't use for a couple of months, and then they'll have uh, uh, fall off the wagon or have a binge or whatever and when they come out of it they're like that was the worst thing that I've ever done mm. so it's 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 just funny to me how um, if we allow our mistakes to be our greatest teachers absolutely then they will be absolutely and that's really a philosophy beta- um, behind motivational interviewing and a lot of addiction counseling, mm. right? Well, I mean, if you impose these dogmatic rules, you're going to set up resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's alcohol. How about cannabis? Cannabis and I have been long friends. Uh, there is no doubt about that. As wearing the retreat goer's hat is, what about this allegation that you are using cannabis during the dosing sessions and during that retreat week that 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 would be my concern if I was coming and so please explain that okay um it it often strikes me as odd that this is even a concern honestly uh especially since we now acknowledge cannabis as a medicine (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but here it is so I have absolutely used cannabis during mushroom sessions Um, we often recommend it to our guests depending on the individual and what they're going through some people cannabis is really helpful to getting them to to kind of launch when they otherwise don't or can't okay Um, I've employed it from myself for the same reason so a lot of times I do take psilocybin with guests a lot of times I don't uh, when I don't, you mean cannabis with a guest? No. Oh, okay. So I mean that's that's my I know, I know, that's I my know, second question. Saying, okay. when, I, when I don't, mm-hmm. is when I use cannabis the most during okay. a session. Okay. Okay. I so get I it. will uh, use cannabis these days as edibles, um, but I will use cannabis as a way to deepen my meditation and mm-hmm. allow me to kind of sync up with the the session. Okay. Okay, so um, it sounds like you're using it 
within a therapeutic context. Oh, absolutely. It's it's an awareness tool. I use okay. it as an awareness tool. I use it to heighten my awareness to the individuals and the situation around me. I do not use cannabis, uh, particularly in the mushroom sessions, as a way to check out or to uh, avoid what's going on. It's a way to, to bring me deeper into the present moment. So I will use breath work and cannabis when I'm not using psilocybin in the sessions to help kind of tap in. Okay, D- it, but it, do you use cannabis during every session when you don't use psilocybin? Mm. I'd say yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd say mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's it's funny that breath work, which I also employ, uh, isn't being um, picked apart as some uh, form of intoxication that takes my mm. attention off of the guest, right? Because breath work is a very, very intense uh, activity uh, that works a lot like psilocybin and cannabis, Um and then on sessions when I do take psilocybin with guests, I won't use as much cannabis um, because I don't need any other kind of assistance getting in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will often use a little bit of cannabis um, on the on the way out as the mushrooms are coming down. Uh, that helps me to helps to extend the mushroom session for me. A lot of times it allows me an opportunity because everybody else is kind of coming down at that point, and the facilitators are. Uh, you know, I can kind of rely on the facilitators more and um, it gives me an opportunity to go kind of get a, a, a personal meditation in and kind of clear out some of the work from the session. Okay. So uh, I do use it and I use it intentionally. I've been working with it for 20 plus years. I've been using cannabis intentionally. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people know that Rasta has been a big part of my life and cannabis is a sacrament in that culture. Uh, and that's how I have applied it over the years and still do to this day. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Okay. So this is my second question here. Um, so there's a lot of talk about you specifically and other facilitators taking psilocybin during the dosing session and the way it comes across in the article is that all the facilitators are tripping and that makes them less able to facilitate appropriately give me your th- give me your rationale on if facilitators dose and if so why d- why do they okay thank you um so some facilitators do. Um, we have definite intentional reasons for that, which I'll go into a little bit in just a second here. Uh, I think it's valuable to point out that this method has been employed not only by shamans throughout history, but also in the psychedelic therapy in the 40s and 50s before it was made illegal. Uh, the therapist would often consume a little bit of the medicine alongside of the client. So. Uh, there are a number of people in this article uh, who suggest or flat out say uh, that this is a strict no-no, which is completely wrong. And anybody that's saying that, really, that's a a giveaway that they don't really know a lot about the history or the use of psilocybin. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in the Goop piece that came out uh, from Gwyneth Paltrow 
the mm-hmm. MAPS um, clinicians. And MAPS is the most respected psychedelic organization on the planet. Uh, their clinicians in that uh, documentary or series used psilocybin alongside of their patients or clients as well. Okay. So there's plenty of reference for this, pl- plenty of precedent for this. Okay. Why we do this is because it's a... Uh, well, it's, it's it's an empathetic tool. It, it allows us to to connect more with the individuals who are there in the mushroom space. It heightens our awareness, so we can be more aware of the the small, subtle uh, expressions, um, shifts in energy uh, or need that our uh, guests have. Uh, it's also an endurance booster, which when you're doing these sessions three times a week that are 12 to 14 hour days, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really helpful to take a gram or maybe two grams for some um, to tap in and boost energy levels. Now, we don't ever take massive doses that com- incapacitate us as facilitators we take what we call a facilitator dose or a working dose and for everybody that's different uh, and it's different at different times Mm -hmm. okay so there's a distinction between the facilitator dose and that seems to be a low dose that allows the facilitator to to tap into presence intuition and empathy Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. um so how m- what percentage of the facilitators are dosing during the session? I mean, you, you mm-hmm. have how many facilitators on the session and what percentage of them are using psilocybin? Okay, so we have no less than one facilitator to, er- to three guests. That is the bare minimum that we work with. It's usually because we've got a lot of volunteers and people that want to work with us, and, and we usually have one for every two people, mm-hmm. usually. Um, the percentage of facilitators that are dosing is under 50% for sure. If we have, say, let's w- we have uh, a group of 15 people and then we have seven facilitators, mm-hmm. then at most I would have three of those facilitators dose. Okay. Never the, n- the nurse, never consume psilocybin during a session. Um, and those that do, again, like I said, consume significantly small doses compared to what they take uh, for their own internal work or their own exploration. Myself, you know, if I'm w- if I'm taking uh, a dose for me, then it's usually in the seven to nine gram range. If I'm taking a dose to be present and work with others, it's a th- around three uh, on some difficult cases. I would say I get up to five gram range, and it's 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 tough to explain and necessarily understand. Uh, how this works, I know for particularly for the uninitiated, and and even you yourself as a therapist came down, you were a little concerned, like why? Wait a second, why are you taking yes drugs with us? Um, but you came to but quickly. But after the first dosing session, mm-hmm. I got it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it is kind of impossible to understand why this is a tool, and as a facilitator myself, I've had to fiddle around with my dose Mm -hmm. now my dose is maybe is just one gram Mm -hmm. as a facilitator and I know during the dosing session 
that um, sometimes I'm like, no, I, I don't need it now. I don't, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to mm -hmm. help. But I do know, and I will go several, s several retreats without dosing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, for it's sure. a, and it has been a training tool. And well, and I mean, you know, this speaks also to some of the misinformation in the article that says that, uh, which, which this is, there is an element of truth to this that if you do consume psilocybin day after day after day that it does you will mm. stop to feel the effects as much but if you use psilocybin over a very long period consistently then you're actually able to gain access quicker with lower doses so for me it's been really interesting that the last two retreats we had just before the co uh, covid shutdown mm -hmm. um the there were two retreats i only dosed one time for each retreat on each dose, I literally ate a dried mushroom that was about the size of my pinky nail. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very, very small, very mm. small mushroom. And I was experiencing the effects or I was I was in the experience as deep as if I had been on four or five grams. And it was so amazing and so powerful that I was able to be so deeply there with the people I was working with with such little medicine and that's one of the the great lessons that comes out of psilocybin is that you don't actually need psilocybin to get there and so mm -hmm. this kind of like oh Eric's so messed up that he can't think straight or can't hold a conversation or he's screwed up all the time or like mm. I, I can gratefully tap into that almost at will and I still can do that while holding conversations and enjoying time with my family or working on projects or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. you know so uh, oftentimes people consume psilocybin and they say I feel more sober I feel I feel more clear now than I do normally mm -hmm. and again for those that actually know psilocybin yes. they know at what point it's going to become disorienting. It's going to become overwhelming. And they know how to even actually pull themselves out of that space in the midst of the experience. I can absolutely, on four, five, six gram dose, pull myself together enough to perform any manual task. I'm not saying it's safe to drive cars or, you know, whatever. But there's a real misconception around even in, in considering this like intoxication or inebriation, that's not what the psilocybin experience is. No. It can be very confusing, but once you really understand this medicine, it can be, it's so clarifying. So um, let's, let's move on to this other issue that was raised in the article. Uh, it was an all-female retreat, can you tell me, did the organization of that retreat um, come from you? Did you put out like a general request for people advertising an all-female retreat? Who organized this retreat? For a long time, I'd had in mind that we should do retreats that were either gender-specific or trauma-specific. Okay. Um, that there were 
retreats organized around certain populations. That was something that mm-hmm. I had been doing from from get go with Maiko. Um, I, I was approached about this retreat uh, by one of the individuals that led the retreat. Uh, she was here in November, and she asked about doing a women's retreat. And I said, "Look, that, that's great. I've been I've been thinking about do this, doing mm-hmm. something like this for a while." Um, and so, basically, we just put on the website. We advertised that okay. there was going to be a women's retreat led by so and so. There's a lot. There's a lot looking back that I can say I could have done, should have done differently. Um, situation. Okay. So I, I'm sorry, I kind of steered you off in a, in a different direction. Um, but I am interested in the fact that it was a women's retreat and there was some issues surrounding the presence of both male and female facilitators. Well Can you talk about that? From go, that was, that was the way it was planned. I did bring that up. I brought that up with the, the leadership for that retreat. Um, and, uh, there's documented emails saying that that was, it was not going to be a problem. Okay. Um, and that the women were informed that there would be men there. Oh, okay. But when we got there, we found out that they weren't informed. That Hmm. was the thing. So we Hmm. sat down, uh, the first integration and yeah, people were looking at me like, why are you here? And I was like, okay, I don't know. I'm here and didn't think anything. And then. How many uh, male facilitators were there? Three, myself, and uh, two other Myco employees. Okay. One, one's, a, one's a partner. But, um, and so after that first preparation session, um, I was approached by the lead or leads, which there were. And uh, so the, one, the, the retreat goers had not been informed that there were going to be male facilitators. Right. Okay. And so they were, you know understandably upset if they hadn't been informed of this hadn't agreed to it um and so um the the leadership came to me rather frantic uh kind of not knowing necessarily how to handle it because that meant there would be three facilitators that would not be in the space okay Um, that's that's a lot of support that would be lacking Mm -hmm. uh so what we came to agree on is that um, the t- two of the guys would hang kind of close to the area, uh, but out of out of the circle, mm-hmm. and then I would be about fifty feet away, over in the open area with a fire going, so that whenever people kind of came out of the experience, they could go to the fire. Okay, uh, which that's what happened, and you know. There were some some women that came over there, and we had great conversations together. And some of them kept to themselves. And you know, I've I've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty I pretty much know when and where to stay out, when and where to to jump in. Uh, so I just kind of stayed to myself. Well, explain to me the rationale of having both male and female facilitators during the retreat. I think it's extremely important, especially after that uh, women's retreat. Um, Even when it is trauma-induced by men, Mm -hmm. um, having safe men there is extremely valuable in correcting those kind of perceptions, allowing... Uh, for some of the transference and projection that needs to happen. You know, I've had many, many 
times have had women just look at me and say, you fucker, I'd fucking choke you right now. And they weren't talking to me. Yes. They weren't talking to me. And I knew they weren't talking to me. And But it was important that I was there. It was important that I was there and allowed for them to express that and release that mm-hmm. and to not judge that. And so um, that's really why we have chose, chosen not to have any more of the particularly the gender specific uh, retreats, but also just the trauma specific retreats, because you see that people who suffer from various forms of trauma uh, can help each other by kind of offering different perspectives. It's just so it's so really beautiful to watch the dynamic between all of us who are damaged and seeking healing in one way or another. And if we can if we can allow ourselves to be the other and the other to be us Mm. then like that's where the healing happens absolutely um so it also occurs to me that having a male and female facilitator present is also the standard clinical protocol correct yeah but it's also necessary for transference Mm. okay you have someone there um, upon whom the guests can project their feelings, say, towards their mother mm-hmm. or towards their father or towards their husband, okay? Yeah. And it's a standard, it's a standard therapeutic uh, tool, mm. really. Mm-hmm. So, that mm-hmm. so, all right, I understand that now. Okay, so a lot of general questions about safety. The fact that you didn't have a nurse on staff, uh, no access to medical facilities. So can you address that and how has Michael Meditations addressed those concerns going forward? Okay. Um, so again, you know, I, I, I joke halfway jokingly, but it's it's true uh, that Michael Meditations started out with Eric and a bag of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. That's the truth. I was coming down here picking wild psilocybin, uh, getting a little bit from the grill until I could get the cultivation up and running um, taking tissue cultures and spore prints from wild stuff and took a significant amount of time to build this thing even to where it's at right now, particularly because I didn't have any funding. Um, I had always intended on and still intend on this being a world-class operation, and that includes mental health, physical health care. It includes professionals from all kinds of backgrounds. We didn't have a nurse uh, on staff for year and a half two years maybe it -hmm. took a good while to find actually you know most of jamaica's nurses have gone abroad because the pay here is so horrible for it's it is disgusting what nurses make in jamaica Mm -hmm. i'm happy to say that we pay all of our nurses considerably better than what a nurse makes working at a hospital in jamaica okay so you do hire nurses now absolutely we have two nurses hired right now we've had Nikisha's been with us for, gosh, it's been a year and a half at least. Mm -hmm. I know she had her one-year anniversary. Must have been November or something like that. Um, We've got Tashoy on staff. There's another nurse that I'm male nurse that I'm going to be interviewing here in the next few days in Kingston. Uh, So yeah, that was always part of the plan. It took us a while to get it sorted out uh, as things do in jamaica we're still trying to find some jamaican therapist if there's any jamaican therapist or psychiatrist out there that would like to be on board with michael meditations please email us info at michael meditations.com 
but resources are limited in Jamaica. It takes mm-hmm. time here, and that's one of the things that is it's already kind of funny to me, you know, now that there's this wave of folks coming in to be psychedelic retreat leaders here in Jamaica, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or even the research lab at UE that was, or it's being funded. Uh, <laughs> it isn't going to happen as fast as people hope it's going to fa- happen. This, this <laughs> soon come, soon, soon come. come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. everything takes time, um, but that has always been a part of the plan, and it will be to to continue to improve the quality of what we offer and improve the safety. That's another thing that we've done that is a definitely a safety measure, even though this wasn't the primary motivation behind it, is but we've moved all the dosing to daytime. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's if there was anything that someone could have really criticized me for early on uh, as far as safety, it's doing mushroom mm-hmm. sessions at night. Yeah. Right. Because visibility is hard and there are trip hazards or whatnot. And we recognize that we brought it, we changed it for that reason. And also because the guests themselves were getting their time schedules thrown off and it just. And it's so like so much of what we are right now is because of the feedback that we've gotten from guests from every single retreat. We've mm-hmm. done these surveys for how long now where we take the information from folks and what they what their assessment of our retreat. Mm-hmm. We analyze it as a team and we say, OK, let's implement these changes to make this better for our guests. OK, so from nurses, therapists, general safety all across the board, you know, we work really hard to continue improving uh, that which we offer okay and medical facilities where where's the closest access to medical Took facilities? Theo to the doctor in uh, Black River yesterday there's mm-hmm. a hospital there that's about a 35 40 minute drive okay. uh, we had a guest fall one night not on mushrooms he slipped fell in the bathroom and hit his head he had to get seven stitches. We drove him to the Mandeville Hospital, which was an hour and 15 minutes away. He still lives. He still speaks very highly of mycometations. Okay. Uh, so Jamaica is a very safe place. Psilocybin is a very safe medicine. However, things happen, and when they do, we take care of them. So if I was in the woods of Kentucky where I came from, it's just as hard to get to a hospital there as it is to get to one here in Jamaica. Right. I mean, there's an inherent risk um, in going to uh, Caribbean Island. Um, If you want to stay safe and stay in your living room and be bubble wrapped, then you're not going to be someone who's going to be seeking out this experience. Well, I I don't think that's safe anyway. (laughs) No, psychologically, it certainly is not. Especially if you're watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, so you've addressed these concerns. Well, and that's a general question for me. These allegations are about a retreat that happened two years ago, and every concern has been addressed. So I'm wondering, one question I have for you is, okay, so these are professionals who were the facilitators on this retreat in question. Mm -hmm. Now, did they come to you? Did one or several come to you following this retreat and address their concerns personally to you to have micro meditations address them? 
So there was one conversation that I had with Joe and Kyle after the Psychedelics Today retreat on mm-hmm. Zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, you know, hey, it was great. Uh, we think you guys could use a nurse. Aside from that, we think you're doing great work. And I said to them, well, we're trying to find a nurse. If you know a Jamaican nurse, be happy to hire them. Okay. And, you know, we all kind of laughed. And then, I don't know, maybe a month or two months after that conversation, it might have been even longer than that. It probably was longer than that. Uh, mm-hmm. Without any, they did not ask if we had hired a nurse. They did not ask about any of our procedural, any about anything. They just put out that statement about retracting support from us. Okay. Uh, so there was one conversation that I had with them about the nurse. I told, I expressed to them that we were really trying to find a local nurse to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the rest, no, there were no follow-up. There was never. A, as a matter of fact, Dr. McLean, uh, you know, we've got emails over the course from March all the way through September uh, where she was requesting to lead another retreat for Michael Meditations um, and you know we as a team decided that that would not be a good idea um, and it was o- only after letting her know that there wouldn't be any uh, retreats partnered with her uh, that this kind of these kind of issues started being Hmm. raised in the public sphere so Hmm. yeah because i remember following my retreat nearly two years ago and when these allegations came out and it was a facebook thread Mm -hmm. i believe Mm -hmm. and i was trying to do due diligence and look back and i looked at some of the the youtube videos in which uh Catherine McLean was kind of, la- you know, bestowed. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so I, I was really having a hard time wrapping my head around this, and it seems like in the professional context, because this is a new movement, mm-hmm. okay, this mm-hmm. renaissance, this mm-hmm. third wave, if you will, mm-hmm. right? So shouldn't we all be trying to lift each other up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pointing out where we think things could be better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also not going on these p- these personal attacks and, and, and letting the retreat or the individuals being blindsided. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. in the, the years since since I've been on board and attending conferences, I do see the infighting. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. very, um, it's very, very disheartening. It really is. It really is because this movement needs all of the support it can get. We've <laughs> these medicines have got to be brought to the public. They've got to be made accessible to so mm-hmm. many people suffering. Mm-hmm. And this kind of finger pointing, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything but hurt the movement. I completely agree that constructive conversations uh, discussing best practices they are capable of being had and they're very important that we have and to to remove or hide information from the public is uh, is extremely irresponsable and, and unethical and unethical and there were you know psychedelics today took down uh, four podcasts in which, they either interviewed me or they interviewed other people, including Catherine McLean, uh, where those individuals spoke so highly of Michael Meditations and their experience here. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I am, this has been a two year long thing that we've been knowing all this was building, and I'm certainly hopeful that it's over. Uh, 
no matter what, like I am so done with this thing. And like, uh, they, right. uh, you know, yeah. we've, we've said our piece. People know that we're safe. People know that we're sincere. People know that we know psilocybin. They know that we know how to manage, work with this medicine and work with our guests. That is apparent in the wake that we have left and which has been hundreds of people whose lives have been so powerfully and so positively changed. And mm-hmm. while psilocybin is the tool that that could not have happened if they were not in a safe, supported environment. Absolutely. So that alone really illustrates our skill and, effe- and efficacy in this space. So this allegation, this concern that uh, the people on the retreat weren't trained clinicians, but it also said in the article that you have since hired therapists. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just put on my therapist hat here now is that apart from working as facilitators during the week, um, the, the on-site therapist reviews all incoming applications. We speak extensively with prospective guests. We make sure that anyone who comes on retreat is going to be psychologically safe. Therefore, we don't accept anyone who has bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, history of psychotic breaks, or any family history of such. Um, If someone indicates that they have a history of self-harming, suicidal ideation, um, PTSD, the therapist always has a conversation with that individual to assure that they have addressed their trauma prior to coming on retreat, that they are currently in therapy back home, that they have adequate coping skills, um, that they have a support system back home, a whole host of things (laughs) that we go through even before people come to our retreat. And, And I will say that coming on a retreat in a foreign country, if you've never used the medicine before, can be intimidating and people need a lot of hand holding and we're on the phone with prospective guests um, guests for for hours on non-retreat weeks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think the truth is um, look at our trip advisor regarding the guests there is this one quote a final quote in the article that um, these these retreat goers, they're desperate and vulnerable. The, the tone of it made it seem as if we are preying on people's vulnerability mm. and desperation. Mm. But, but let's talk about the truth of people who are seeking out this, this therapy, of them being vulnerable and desperate. I would love to, uh, because that has been... Since the founding of Michael Meditations, uh, it has been extremely important to me uh, and now to us that we serve those people who are in the most need. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been dozens, dozens of guests who have said, "This is my last. This is my last stop. Yes. If this doesn't do it, I've got a plan. I know. I'm checking out." I know. 
and to see all of those people come back from that, mm-hmm. there's nothing that can touch that. Uh, so we, right now, I think we are the only retreat center uh, that will take some of these most desperate cases. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in derogatory terms of no. the individuals that are seeking the assistance or in terms of ourselves by any means. People are desperate. They need help. And we have been and will do whatever it takes to help those individuals and to be a support for them. Right, because this is the treatment of last choice for many of our guests. So people that want to criticize us for taking the people that are in most need, uh, that that illustrates to me their incompetence, ultimately. Right, well. We can mm -hmm. handle it. I know we can... We can handle some really, really tough cases, and we do that with confidence, and that's why we do this. Uh, mm-hmm. So if, if you are one of those people that is desperately seeking relief, well, this is the place that you need to come. Absolutely. And as a therapist, that has been so gratifying to me because I, prior to coming on board, that was the population that I worked with, the mm-hmm. desperate and the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I worked with people who were highly traumatized mm-hmm. from childhood on. And to see people come to us, they've been on psychiatric medications for decades. They've been in therapy for decades. They've tried ketamine treatments. They've tried electroconvulsive treatments Mm -hmm. and nothing has provided them any relief at best they've been numbed out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but surviving is not thriving and we can honestly say that after a week working with the mushroom here and us providing the safety and support these people do go on very often to thrive oh and as a therapist i cannot tell you how gratifying that is and how grateful I am to be working with these people who are so desperate and mm-hmm. so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the best job a therapist could have, mm-hmm. I think. Um, okay, so my last question is, after going through this, um, this kerfuffle, if you will, uh, the experience of this retreat, um, on which this this article two years later is, is based. I mean, what have you learned about how you run the retreat? Oh God, I think we we learn something every single retreat that we operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has been so much that I have learned over the last many years. Uh, I would say though, one of the most important lessons that I've taken away from from these experiences that led to this article mm-hmm. is to be very careful w- of who I invite into our circle, um, especially when that invitation is based on a public persona uh, or this kind of um, touted expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't see it, then don't believe it. <laughs> mm. As strange as that is for me to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, there's just the ongoing uh, lessons that we learn of, of how to operate a more effective experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this uh, what I love about this work so much is that it keeps me learning, right? Yes. And I've, I've always had this just thirst for knowledge, and 
I've not found any field that is so rich and allows for so much consistent growth across the board. I've learned a lot about self-care from this from these retreats and not allowing myself to be given over to other people's negativity. Mm. Um, how to take time for myself and to recenter and focus so that I can be more effective for the people that I work with. Absolutely. Uh, there's just there's just so much that I have learned uh, since from these experiences and from every experience really. Mm -hmm. And we're fortunate to have the retreats to teach us and even our critics oh to teach sure, us sure. and our guests to teach us in the if mushroom. If the crit if if criticism if these conversations could just be had in a respectful face to face rather than some kind of like passive aggressive let's sick a reporter on somebody, you know, let's let's deride someone on social media. Like yeah. just ha that's that's not psychedelic leadership. No, it's not. Let's have conversation. Let's speak up front. Let's be, let's be real. I'm I'm like that's one of the things that. Let's be ethical. Let's be ethical. Let's be authentic. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I've I have, I have always tried to grow, in front of, the people that I work for, right. This whole thing, psychedelic, psychedelic facilitation or therapy or leadership or whatever you want to call it, ultimately, for me, it's leading by example. It's, it, it is the golden rule. That is what continues to come out of this. The deepened lesson that I continue to learn is that we actually are each other, period. It's not a metaphor. We are. And so... We have to live that life, and that means like if I want you to grow, Denise, then I gotta fucking make mistakes in front of you. I gotta fall in front on my face in front of you and show you how to pick myself back up, so that you can do the same. We all have to do that, mm -hmm. and so I have not. Michael Meditations did not. I didn't. I didn't sit around and wait for Michael Meditations to be this brand that I could that a bunch of money was behind and reach for investors and try to put some pristine packaging together to fool people into thinking that. You know, we were something that we weren't. This is something that is extremely grassroots. You can go back on some of those, <laughs> you know, those uh, websites where you can see, like, the history of the Internet. Uh -huh. And you can go, like, see all the different iterations of uh, so Go look at Myco Meditations over the years. It went from being a, just a janky Wix website that I started up to just this a beautiful website that it is right now. And all of that has been public. And I think that's what we should, all leaders should be doing is failing publicly succeeding hmm. publicly that's lovely that's lovely right and they did acknowledge in the article um that even your detractors said that you um you, your heart's in the right place <laughs> okay <laughs> and even though um and i think that's really what what we should focus on because the mushroom is not a human institution, but we mm. are humans who are going to be um, doing the work. We are the stewards of this medicine. And I feel that we need to be incredibly cognizant that this medicine is powerful beyond mm. our, our conception. It's unpredictable. And we better be humble mm. because we are walking um, a fine line here as we open up, right, with yep. treatment. And the hearts of those, if you will, 
who will be involved with providing these medicines, I hope that they will remain pure. Mm. Because in, in one of my solo doses, um, it was made very clear to me that you cannot enter into this uh, pantheon, if you will, of, of healers mm. if there is any envy mm -hmm. or competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means we have to do due diligence because we are human mm -hmm. and we have to work very, very hard because we're all wounded healers. And it is by acknowledging our own wounds that we can more authentically work with those who are indeed desperate and vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for clearing up my questions, Eric. And yeah. um, I will say I'm incredibly grateful to be here in Jamaica to be working with The Mushroom, to be working with you and all our other amazing staff members and to be part of the Micro Meditations family. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And we're really fortunate to have you, Denise. All right, and now we are moving on. Uh, anyone that would like to carry on that conversation please do so without me <laughs> i've had enough of it we know that we're safe we know that we are authentic we know that we're sincere and we know that we're here for you so i look forward to sharing another episode of the psilocybin chronicles with you next week when we get back on with our real guests that you all want to hear from thanks as always much love. Stay safe.